and welcome to Girls Talk Cyber, GTC, the podcast to help young people feel empowered, educated, and engaged on all things cybersecurity. My name's Jules, and I'm joined by my co-host, Em. Hey, everyone. In this podcast, we want to take away the tech bro cybersecurity jargon and give you the opportunity to understand this incredibly exciting space to help you redefine how you act online. We're going to be covering a wide range of topics this season, from teaching you how to bolster your online security to interviewing amazing women who work in this field and taking a peek behind the curtain into the dark web. And don't worry, here at GTC, we're a judgment-free zone. We don't want to scare you off Facebook or shame job you for clicking a link. No, no, no. We're here to get you involved in the conversation and make you feel as though in the event of a cyber attack or a scary online occurrence, you have the tools and resources to deal with it. And to keep the conversation going, Em and I have set up a Facebook group and Instagram account for our GTC community to ask questions, share cybersecurity stories, and keep up to date with the latest tips and tricks. Let's get into it, Em. Em, I am so excited for today's episode. Oh, what has today's episode got in store for us? Oh, she's a good one. Have you ever wondered what it's like being a hacker or an ethical hacker? Yes, I've seen the movies. I've watched the man in the hoodie slowly turn around in his chair to that green code on a computer, typing really fast. I, I know what a hacker is. Shout out Mr. Robot, um, Netflix series would recommend. Um, but seriously, today you don't have to wonder anymore. We have a special guest on today's episode who has dedicated their entire career to ethical hacking. We'll be joined by cybersecurity professional Vicky Grios, who's going to share with us um, some of her experiences in the field and in her role as an ethical hacker. Yes, I'm so excited to have Vicky on the show. Finding a female hacker is actually harder than you'd think. Uh, The representation of women within the hacking community is quite low. So it's been really great to have Vicky on to provide that insight from someone that we can relate to. Yeah, it's super, super cool. I'm super excited to share this with our listeners. Shall we get into it, Em? Let's jump into it. Okay. To help us chat through all things hacking and offensive cyber today, we are joined by a wonderful guest. Um, Vicky, thank you so much for joining us today. We are super excited to have you on this episode. Before we jump into some of our questions that we have lined up for you, we would love to get to know you a little bit and understand a bit more about what you do on the day-to-day, what your kind of current role is and how you got to it. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So I'm Vicky. Um, I'm pretty much an ethical hacker. I've been doing it for eight or nine years. I jumped in it directly out of uni and I've never really wanted to do anything else. Um, It's a pretty simple story how I got into hacking. Um, I did a uni degree, it was unrelated. And when you do like IBL positions or internships, had some pretty standard ones come across like help desk, IT admin. And one of them was ethical hacking and like cybersecurity. I was like, wow, that seems really cool. So I just jumped into it and just learned it. And that's pretty much all I do every day while I test different things day to day, I just do ethical hacking or penetration testing. Yeah, that's awesome. I guess for our listeners out there who may not be familiar with the terms penetration testing or ethical hacking, can you please break that down for us a little bit? What actually is ethical hacking? I guess when I think of hacking, I think of bad guys immediately. Um, so how does the ethical, the term ethical come into that uh, profession or that role? So probably a long answer to that question. So whenever anyone puts anything out, you know, a product out, it goes through a variety of stages of like uh, security testing. So some of the security testing is 
like compliance, you use this certain kind of encryption, certain kind of authentication. And ethical hacking is the kind of the practical demonstration of those controls. So what ethical hacking do is we use the same kind of methods and tools that a real hacker would use. So we can identify vulnerabilities before real hackers do. And then we work with companies, you know, to help them fix it. So the word ethical comes in because you're doing a paid job for a client that's aware that you're going in and messing with their systems, trying to get in versus unethical, which is when they're not aware and you're trying to do damage to a system. Yeah. So I didn't say like this. So like companies reach out to us, ask us to ethically hack a system or pen trust a system. We look and identify vulnerabilities. Then we work with the company to try and fix those vulnerabilities. So an actual hacker who's just on the internet trolling doesn't find the vulnerabilities and exploit them. Right. I think we love an analogy here at Girls Talk Cyber. So I guess you kind of break into someone's house with their knowledge and show them maybe the back door was open, the garage door was open. Um, We recommend you go and fix these, lock it, patch it up. And then when the bad guys do come and try to rob your house, these things will be remediated and not like on the radar of things to worry about for the client. Yeah, I think that's a good way to explain it. Cool. Um, I feel like some of the the buzzwords that you hear around offensive cyber and um, uh, penetration testing professions is things like red teams. Actually, I've heard all sorts of colors. There's red teaming, blue teaming, purple teaming, all sorts of different styles um, of penetration testing. Are you able to kind of give a really high level overview of what each of those are or what's the difference between each of those avenues? Yeah, it's related to the similar point that was um, brought up like earlier about how aware the client is you're testing them. Penetration testing, the one that I mainly do, you speak to the client, the person who, you know, you talk to the person who deployed the software and they're very aware of the process. And sometimes they even give you authentication credentials so you can test what someone (laughs) the app might do. A red team is very different. Now, usually this is much more aligned to simulating what an actual attacker would do. So a lot of the people that monitor software, the system admins, they are not aware you're doing it. So it kind of doesn't just test vulnerabilities, like whether the door is open at a point in time, it tests whether the alarm goes off and things like that. So they will just, and also the scope of testing is much Looser. Now, normally I'll be given specifically what I need to test. Red team is kind of like, can you get into this organization? Can you break physical security controls? Can you actually break into the building? Can you like sneak past someone? Can you do a phishing attack? Just when you know you send someone an email and they open up um, malicious software, take to the computer. It's very open and it tests it in a much more holistic way. Does the team that's detecting malicious activity, do they be identified? And if that happens, it's kind of like the red team fails because they, you know, the security, the monitoring, the alarm goes off and they've identified that malicious activity. So it kind of tests it in a much more practical way. Yeah. Yeah. Now, blue teaming actually refers to the other side. So whenever you have a, an organization, you usually have some kind of monitoring software. So someone who looks for malicious activity so they can identify it, isolate it, or even just respond to it they can't do it, which is very important. Now, purple teaming is actually kind of a mix between both of those. So a red teaming is a practical exercise. At the end, you tell them we broke in or we got caught. Whereas purple teaming is where you work with the monitoring team a lot more. We'd be like, hey, I just took over this server here. What did those logs look like? You know, did you see anything? And then you work to see how you can improve that monitoring team. And this is a a very good exercise because, you know, the reality is the cyber world is so complex out there. It's assumed that at some point a company, an organization is going to get breached. So learning 
how to identify that malicious behavior and respond to it when it happens is one of the most important parts of security because it's such a complex landscape that there's always going to be a way in. And this is kind of harsh to say, but users are often the easiest way to get in. And someone at some point is going to click on a malicious email link. Someone is going to go to a dodgy website or even have their laptop stolen. So it's you can't ever assume you're never going to be hacked. So you have to learn to identify those signs that you have been hacked. And that's where like a blue and rebel teaming really help out. Yeah, fascinating. I feel like such a resilience building technique as well and um, an opportunity for, you know, people who aren't in penetration testing roles to learn from penetration testers and and get that really kind of hands-on experience. It's super valuable. Yeah. Red teaming is really interesting because I feel like if you've done your job well, do you ever feel like your clients are like embarrassed or like is it awkward that you've just like got into their systems? Like if you've done, if they've done their job well, they would have known that you were coming in, right? But yeah, how, how do you go letting the client know, hey, we got in here and here? It really depends on the maturity of the client. So most of the time that we get engaged by a client, they're quite security mature. So when you do find a vulnerability, it's something that was actually really hard and complex to do. Like where I'm most proud of it is like, yeah, we use this underhead do we wait to 12 p.m. and we came in there or like we use this custom exploit and it's something that wasn't really obvious. Now, I imagine if, you know, there's lots of breaches you hear about there where it's quite an obvious way that they got in, that would be probably embarrassing for them. But most of the time, it's something that we worked really hard to do and wasn't super obvious. Occasionally that does happen. But, um, you know, it's just a positive process we try and do and work with them. And, you know, if we see something that is something that is really obvious, we tend to let them know straight away because yeah. we assume that someone might quite easily exploit that. But, you know, it's it's a very positive process. We're trying to help them um, secure their th- our system and where they do a job. But I can see how it, it might be embarrassing sometimes, but it doesn't come up very often. <laughs> No, I think that's good to hear that it's like a you're working with them versus against them. Um, I think sometimes cybersecurity can be like perceived as we're out to get you and like gotcha moments, but these professionals like yourself were actually working with the teams to make sure that everyone is more secure, which is cool. In terms of some of the clients that you've worked with previously, are there any really cool kind of standout hacking moments or or something that's kind of novelty that you saw happen or yeah is there any cool experiences from working in this role that you know you find are quite fun to share or often you know people are quite interested in hearing about I think every day being at the class is uh very cool but I do have some call out stories you know while every job is awesome and great in its own way I I love mine the most because like sometimes you know, you're trying to break into a company externally and getting to do that is a really satisfying experience because it takes a lot of technical like work. It's not usually quite easy. Anyway, but a cool story is, um, I guess, I was doing a pen test for an energy mining utility client and we weren't quite aware of what this client did until um, later in the test. So parts of these tests involve you know, testing whether you can break in from like their corporate like head offices and then try and get into their actual like, you know, mining network where they actually run the software and stuff like that. And we're in the process of breaking into like the area which runs the equipment, the safety equipment and stuff like that. And at that point, we wanted to find more about what we were doing. And we found out that the place that we were pen testing proved that you could break in from externally into their corporate head offices 
and then directly into like the actual operational network, they made explosives. We were just like, wow, like, you know, compromising any of these systems in any way, not even just the safety systems could cause like severe like harm. And it was like a very yeah interesting moment to be like, wow, like we're really actually helping I guess keep keeping people safe because this would go wrong in like pretty much yeah. every possible way. And it was just it was it was very it was a very weird experience. We did end up helping them fix um quite a number of vulnerabilities that would make that a lot harder. But um yeah, very, very nerve-wracking a little bit once you get in there because systems that aren't in like your corporate offices and stuff like that, they're designed very differently and they're not as mm-hmm. resilient to stuff. So you have to be very careful. But yeah, very, very interesting. Gosh, that would have been catastrophic, you know? Like that's insane. Um, the damage that could have been done. But also what is like such a rewarding opportunity for you to be a part of that, you know? As you said, you really were securing um more than just an organization. Yeah, it was it was very interesting. It wasn't actually it wasn't an Australian uh it was an Australian company, but the 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 mine was actually in another country, which actually got to fly there, which was also really nice because mm. It's nice and remote place, but that's just a little personal joy. But yes, yeah, so it was it was very exciting and very fun and rewarding. So you're saving the world and getting to travel it as well. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Maybe now we've kind of covered off yourself, your role, some cool jobs you've had, um, what pen testing is, how is it different to red teaming, already so much covered. Um, I did kind of want to turn to your experience um, on Hunted. I loved the series, so congrats again on getting um, on that show. How has that experience been? Like, how how did you get on the show? How was season one? How was season two? Could you maybe give us a deep dive on that? So I would say overall it is really fun to be a part of and really interesting to work with a different group of people. So typically I work with cyber, you know, other people on my team or I work with clients in technology, but working with law enforcement and military in that kind of environment it was really interesting to work with and it was really fun to see the things that you find get executed immediately so normally I give someone a report they fix it and then I'll say get fixed later but when you find like some information like we're doing like OSINT which is open source technology you know looking to see what you can find about someone on the internet you give them the information and then, you know, the next thing you see, there's a ground hunter at their door knocking on the door and then they find something else interesting that helps on the chase. And it's really just that instant feedback from when you find something. But the whole experience was super fun. It was like being in like the world's most complex video game. And yes. it, was, it was so much fun. Yeah, it was it was very it was very interesting. But yes, you only see one snippet of how much work it is. And I notice a lot of people who give feedback on the show go, how did you find that? It's like, it's because they had to compress 21 days of eight to nine hour days of like so many professionals working hard and they can't show everything. They can't show every single little detail, but they didn't, they, they make it pretty hard for you, the fugitives, like they hide their tail. Is it actually live time? For some reason, I kind of thought, even though it's over 21 days of fugitives being on the run, for some reason, I kind of think thought it was double that and you kind of, I don't know, there's some TV magic that happens in the background and, and, you know, you do scenes again or something like that. But is it actually all super live and you are finding information and, as you said, you're seeing the hunters rock up on the fugitive's doorstep sort of thing? Yeah, it's 100% real time. That's the most fascinating part about it. Like it yeah, operates so cool. like a real compressed engagement. Yeah, I, I loved it. I feel like my mum was talking about it. Like it was so exciting and people were like shocked, especially when like you – 
be plugging in wires to get into networks like directly and stuff. That was really cool. I think it spooked a lot of people too, to be honest. So many people like, ah, I'm too scared to do anything anymore. (laughs) I was like, well, it's a good realization, I suppose, as well. Yeah, I think very interesting tangent about the technological aspect. I I don't want to sound rude or negative, but I feel some people who are watching the show that aren't very familiar with technology see what we're doing and like don't believe what is actually happening and whether it's true and stuff like that. So, like, for example, when we were plugging in that network device, people were like, oh, you can't hack a router by doing that. I'm like, well, we're not actually hacking the router there. What we're doing is pretty much installing our own mini network device on their their home network. So what we do is we remote into that device, and then from there we would target home computers and then, you know, kind of attack them that way. We're not actually hacking the router. We're just putting ourselves in a position. Right. I was just going to say now it feels like Hunted made cyber and open source intelligence a bit more of an accessible and like common term are there any cool tools or just any sort of tools that you use that you think our listeners might benefit from knowing about so i will say that most of the good results from OSINT come from extreme effort there's no like quick win tool but from a sense of learning how to protect yourself or maybe how compromised you are there's a number of services that you can look up that actually tell you whether an account you have has been compromised. So it's like a website called Have I Been Pwned? And what you can do is you can enter in your email address and it tells you whether it's been associated with any breaches, which might give you indication that maybe you should change your password or consider the way that you operate online. Because while, you know, we ask, there is supposed to be a breach notification status where companies are supposed to tell you that you've been breached. Sometimes when you provide your information online, it goes through so many third parties that the, when that actually does get breached, they have no idea how to actually notify you. So you're not always aware of mm-hmm. it. But I think that's the most important thing to do is just to check how compromised you are. Um, so Vicky, you've just touched on Have I Been Pwned as a kind of a, a user-friendly resource that um, our listeners might be able to access to check their, you know, whether they've been compromised or breached in in previous incidents. Um, from an offensive cyber professional perspective, why do you think our listeners should care about cybersecurity? We ask this question a lot here at Girls Talk Cyber, mainly just to generate more awareness for the topic and prioritizing yeah, prioritizing why people care. We we often hear a lot of reactions of, oh, I'm in a data breach, so what? Or, um, you know, people being a little more desensitized to the, the term breach and, and being compromised. Um, so what, from your perspective, why, why should people care about cybersecurity? So when people hear about a breach, you think that it's some far off distant thing that isn't going to affect you directly. However, often cyber attackers, when they breach something, they might target anyone directly like me. For example, there were recently a retailer's attacked and it wasn't actually that retailer was breached. It was a third party. So these hackers got access to this third party information. They found out that a lot of people work for this retailers and they simply just went on to their online portal, which you would have where you get paid. And they changed the bank account details to this malicious account. And it wasn't even that much money. So you think you're not like someone who's important. I'm not like a target. I'm not a celebrity. That Mm. cybersecurity means you. But this is how they earn their money. Like they spend all day trying to steal money from you. It's no different from someone on the street who's like a robber or, you know, a mugger. That's how they earn their money. They're going to target whoever they can with the information that they have. Yeah. And all of that adds up, of course, as well, right? 
Oh yeah, like it, it definitely adds up. Um, you know, the the market for malicious people, it's not like some, you know, person alone in the basement. It's like this full organization where, for example, I'm a hacker, a bad hacker, and I find a vulnerability in an organization that may enable me to break in. I don't just go and do that. I'll go to like almost this underground market and they'll be like, hey, I found this um, exploit, who wants to buy it? And then they sell it to someone. And then someone's like, okay, I'll break in. I found this information in this database. I'm going to sell the information to you. I'm going to sell the way I got into a ransomware group where ransomware, they go in, they pretty much encrypt the DAS, you can't have it. And it's like this huge organization, just like a traditional like business almost organized <laughs> it's pretty much like how a traditional business would work and it's like it's very complex it's very business and there's a lot of money in it i think that's a really cool story because so many of my friends work in retail and like they're a uni student and they're relying on that pay like every month to come through to their account and i can't imagine like discovering that would be quite disturbing that someone's changed your bank account details without your knowledge so with all this said and done, um, do you have any tips or tricks for the listeners on how to stay safe online? So I have one that I think is very good. So if you you can look this up online, they mention like, you know, use a strong password, you know, don't share passwords from an account. I think the most important thing to do is to have two online identities. So your email address is pretty much like your home address, your license and your passport all combined, because that is how you would get identified. So I think the best thing to do is have one email address and like online presence that is only for critical systems. So only for your banking and your government services. For everything else you do online, have a different identity and email address. When you sign up for some retailer to get a discount or when you even, you know, sign up for an online thing, use a different email address, use a different identity because companies get breached every second. So example, if you have an account that, isn't associated with your critical services like banking and government, they, they can't really do anything with that. There's other lots of like online safety tips you can do. Um, don't use the same password. So if a certain account gets breached, they don't just go and try that password against all your other identities because then, you know, that's how they propagate their access. Um, when it comes to passwords, it is good to choose a secure password, which is more about length than rather than complexity. But an easier thing is to have MFA because if you have 50 passwords, you're going to get complacent. You might share them. They might be really easy. But MFA is a really easy way to secure your, your online access. So whenever you can enable MFA, just do that. It's a very good security control. 100% agree. I love the idea to separate your email accounts. Um, it's such a good way to reduce the impact if your email does get popped. Um, hopefully with MFA on, it's reduced. But yeah, we also have an Instagram post up on our GTC Instagram about how to set up MFA on common accounts like Gmail, Outlook um, and things like that. So go check that out if you want to go turn it on. Anything else you'd like to add before um, we say goodbye to our listeners for this episode? I would say is never underestimate the determination of hackers. It's not only like a whole industry of, you know, people working together like an organization. It's also how they earn their money and they can earn a lot of money. So just, I know it sounds kind of weird and paranoid, but just always be paranoid. Always assume your data can be, will be breached and just always try and be as safe as possible online. I love it. Stay paranoid, everyone. Um, we're going to leave some of Vicky's uh, recommendations that she's made down in the show notes. So do check those out if you'd like to look at those Have I Been Pwned resources um, and other bits we've mentioned today. Thanks so much for coming on today, Vicky. 
Okay, um, that brings us to the end of this episode. Ah, oh, Vicky's just the best. I mean, how much did we learn today? We learned about all the colours of pen testing, blue, red, purple. We got a take on why cybersecurity is important, which I think is kind of different to anything we've ever had on the show before. Thinking about how criminals online or offline are motivated by money. Yeah, and I loved her tips on, um, you know, some of the things we can do to be a bit safer online at an individual level. Um, And the one that particularly stood out for me was setting up fake email accounts for, you know, certain purposes. So you might need a more serious one for your your banks or um, government accounts or whatever that might be. Um, But setting up something fake or a different identity for your online shopping, just an extra layer of protection, you know? You can be who you want to be. Barbie, that's you now. (laughs) No, but I think now we can finally explain to the listeners in our family that we're actually not hackers. We do not touch this stuff on a day-to-day basis just because we work in cybersecurity. So true. I remember when I told my grandma I got a job in cybersecurity and she looked at me really concerningly and said, (laughs) you know, well, still to this day thinks that I'm a hacker. Hey, maybe, you never know, after Vicky's advice, maybe I will be one day. Maybe one day. Well, that's all for today. As always, don't forget you can keep the conversation going over in our Facebook group, Girls Talk Cyber GTC, to share your cybersecurity stories with us and each other. And head over to our Instagram to subscribe to all of our latest tips and tricks on cybersecurity and everything you need to know about GTC. We'll catch you next time. Bye.